The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you for the next 30 minutes of Frank Opadonna's conversation about gambling addiction. Joining me as always, Dan Trelaro from Epic Risk Management, who, like me, is a gambler in recovery. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you so much. As we move uh, closer and closer to Thanksgiving and the holidays, great to have you here. And I want to welcome in a, another gambler in recovery from New Jersey. This is Rob. Rob, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning, Craig. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. A lot to talk to you about, and I recognize uh, that you also are now on the treatment side of things. But if you don't mind me asking, uh, when was your last wager? My last bet was February 10, 2013. Wow, awesome. So we're, uh, we're almost 10 years from your last bet. That must be uh, very satisfying for you. I'm living a life beyond my wildest imagination because of it. That's great. Uh, let's go tell your story a little bit. Uh, when did you uh, first get exposed to gambling and when did you gamble for the first time, as far as you can remember? Well, I started gambling when I was about six or seven years old, just mm. flipping baseball cards with friends. Sure. Um, but the fascination with gambling didn't really occur uh, until I was about nine or ten. You know, I kind of had that bonding moment with my dad when we went to the track together. Ah, so you were exposed to the kind of emotional, mental feelings of risking something or having reward in the card side. But uh, the actual first quote-unquote gamble exposure was with your dad and the ponies, which is a story we do hear a lot. Yep, and that, that bonding moment. And, of course, you know, the horse won. So a lot of gamblers, you know, they all start becoming kind of addicted to that feeling, you know, once they start winning, of course. So as you got older, was uh, the track your place or was it the casino? Was it cards? Was it sports? Where did you kind of find your way evolving into well i started at the track um and then uh, of course you know with kids we were you know betting you know in school on football games that started right uh and when i was old enough to sneak down to atlantic city we always did that so i i, I was you know i'm a full-blown compulsive gambler so, so you I, were I uh, every avenue you were totally agnostic uh to uh the wager as long as you got to wager and kind of had that feeling that satisfied your body you were in hundred percent, yep. Dan, we talk a lot about, you know, first exposure, and we've heard a lot of different stories, actually, uh, lately on the show, but it sounds like Rob's is more of the, you know, kind of mainstream version of a lot of the stories that we hear. You know, an early connection to a relative, a bonding experience, and a win. Yeah, you know, that one even hits home for me because that was my early exposure. I remember going to the Meadowlands racetrack with my dad, and it was just had nothing to do about the winning. You know, it had everything to do about just spending time with someone that you look up to, someone that you who works hard during the week and who's maybe uh, unavailable uh, in many different ways. And then to have that time at the track was just like that was our time, our time to just kind of hang out, catch up, and just betting on horses. I, I just so relate to that. So how long from that point did it take you to become a full-fledged, you know, compulsive gambler where gambling kind of overtook your life and you started making bad decisions around it? It didn't take very long because by the time I was 16 years old, I was already in my first GA meeting. You know, I I owed some kids, you know, at school money and I started selling sports memorabilia and 
had to cash in some bonds to kind of pay them. And, mm. you know, I started smoking pot and drinking then also. So uh, my life was spinning out of control, you know, at a very early age. And I wonder, you know, because you were a teenager, I assume you still lived at home. Your, your folks or relatives, loved ones I had to recognize, I think, I would assume they recognized that there was something going on with you, right? hundred percent, you know, but as a parent, you know, back then also, it wasn't as open as it is now. And right. It wasn't shows like what you have, which I think is fantastic. I mean, it was kind of like whatever happens, you know, we don't talk about it. Sure. And, uh, um, you know, my, my life was spinning out of control. My parents ended up getting divorced, at, you know, when I was about 16, 17 years old. And, and that's when it, my life really started spiraling out of control. So you had a lot of stuff going on. You, you're, you're making bad decisions. You're immature. You're a kid. You got money problems. You're starting dabbling drugs. You're, you're not going home to a happy house. Your mom and dad are going through it. And you needed an escape, I assume. And gambling helped provide you, like drugs did as well, it sounds like, but it provided you an escape. 100%. You know, it, it started working, and it was a great escape. I could be whoever I wanted to be at the track or in the casino. Right. And I didn't have to feel any of the feelings. Um, but then what happens, as you know, once you become, you cross that line and become a compulsive gambler or an addict, you it stops working. It, it becomes an obsession where you, you have to do it. And, yeah. and you start burying yourself where the only way you think you could get out is by continuing to gamble. You know, that's a really good point you made, yeah. Dan. I want you to elaborate on it because I agree with it. And I'm not sure if technically or medically this is right, but I, I want to go down this road with you a minute, uh, Dan. Yep. You know, and, and what, what Rob just said there is kind of how I view my history with gambling, which is, you know, it wasn't a problem for a long period of time in my life, but then you cross over to where it is a problem. And that kind of happens without your, you know, knowledge or participation necessarily in making the decision. But I wonder what the experts say about that. And I say it because there was a point in my life where I did gamble responsibly and recreationally. And then, of course, for whatever reason, I got to a place where I didn't. And I'm wondering what the experts say about that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's so many different ways you can go down that path. I guess to keep it simple and just for the sake of time is that, you know, gambling always starts off as a good feeling for most people. You know, a, a fun time with friends, easy stuff. And it's not really about the money. It's just a form of entertainment. And then something happens, you know, and there's some of us that are predisposed. It could be genetics. It could be biology. It could be sociology, the environment. There's a lot of factors, you know, addictions, bio, psycho, social a lot of things factor in. But what happens is we start to, you know, these neurons kind of get kind of wired together in our brain and it produces the dopamine through our body and all this stuff's going on before we realize it. We have to start doing this thing in order to feel just a little bit better. And some people will start using gambling as an escape or to deal with everyday problems or to cope with life on life's terms. So it becomes an unhealthy coping mechanism. And that's when you know it starts to become a problem because you're not dealing with the problems of life. You're just kind of avoiding them. Right. And that's when you can start to tell that it's becoming a problem. But it usually doesn't start off that way. It starts off maybe childhood, like we heard now, maybe um, some circumstance in life. But when you keep going back to that thing over and over to deal with life, just like people deal use alcohol or drugs, that's when it becomes a problem. Rob, did you ever get to a place where your bad decisions or your financial situation led you to make really bad, illegal decisions? Did you go down that road or no? 100%. And I went down that road for many years. Um, 
I, I actually eventually joined the military thinking that maybe people, places, and things were my problem. If I can just get out of New Jersey and go travel the United States a little bit and get a little discipline, that that would fix my situation or my problem. And they stationed me right in the middle of Louisiana, oh. uh, where there was riverboat casinos everywhere and racetracks and Mardi Gras. And right. you know, I got kicked out for financial irresponsibility and underage drinking. I, uh, when it was all said and done, Craig, I, I ended up being arrested nine different times. Um, I had two DWIs. I owed hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And every day I woke up, I wanted to die. I, uh, I hated myself for all the things that I did to my family, to my friends, to, and I, and I couldn't stop. You know, the only way I thought that I could ever, you know, get back to where I needed to be was by continuing to gamble. You know, I created all of these problems that in my brain were unsolvable. Right. And, you know, in recovery, they teach us that, you know, there's a solution to all our problems. Well, it's funny. I'm, got, I'm listening to what you're saying, and I'm remembering the first thing you said when we started the show, and you're living an amazing life right now worth living, which I do want to get to, but I think it's important to share the darkness as well. And I wonder for you... Hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars in debt. You don't want to live. What, two things on that. Number one, did you ever attempt to take your life? Did you ever get to a place where you were suicidal? I was suicidal maybe in my brain, but not as far as an action plan was concerned. I, I, you know, I thought about how do I buy a gun and go do it, or mm. how do I jump off a bridge, but I, I never took an action plan. You know, it was, it was, I wasn't strong enough, I guess. To, to actually, and thank God I never fulfilled Well, to the contrary, actually, you were strong enough not to. I think that's the, the healthy way to look at that. And then for, for the sake of sharing with us, before we get to the recovery and the good stuff, what was that final bottom-of-the-barrel moment that made you essentially say, I'm sick and tired of, of living this way. I'm now committed to going to get help. I've got a problem. What happened? It was in... Um Early in 2013, I, I joined an IOP um, in New Jersey, and I had gotten kicked out um, for failing a drug test. And, you know, I was gambling like crazy. And um, my wife finally got, you know, the mail saying that, you know, I was discharged, you know, from the IOP. Tell and people, my, what, uh, what is an IOP so people know? Uh, IOP is an intensive outpatient program. Okay. A place where people could go and still work um, and still get therapy and treatment, you know, for addiction and recovery. Got it. Go ahead. Um, so I got kicked out of that. And uh, my father then called my wife. My wife called uh, my dad. And, you know, sure enough, I was at the bar, you know, drunk at 11 o'clock in the morning and gambling like crazy. And I just had that aha moment, Craig, where it's like I knew what gambling did, you know, for 25 years. I've been gambling, I've been drinking, I've been doing drugs, I'd stay clean, I'd relapse, I, you know, at the very end, I had no friends left, I had no self-worth, every day was a struggle and a fight, and it's like, I did what I did, and I, and I knew what I was going to get, you know, it's like that insanity, and yep. better yet, you know, when you talk about doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, a lot of people don't know what advanced insanity is, have you ever heard of it? I've never heard the term advanced insanity, no. Okay, it's you know what's going to happen, but you do it anyway. Mm. And, you know, I, I couldn't differentiate what was really true and what was false. I would lie to myself so much that I was just like a shell of who I was supposed to be. 
And I took a leap of faith. I said, you know what? Uh, I know what my life has been for all these years this way. Let me try something else. And I went to this rehab and, uh, you know, they didn't talk about people, places and things. They didn't talk about triggers. They sat down and they worked the 12 steps of recovery. And that was the big difference between me just abstaining and finding, you know, real freedom in all of this. And I want to talk about that with you. And we're so happy that you uh, decided to join us today. I'm proud of you for your damn near 10 years of recovery. Uh, Dan Trelauer, of course, with us. Rob from uh, New Jersey. And more right after this on Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. We were just talking to Rob, who's a gambler in recovery in New Jersey. So how long did it take, Rob, for you to get comfortable uh, going to meetings and sharing your story and really committing yourself to the process of recovery? I mean, it took 25, 30 years for the total. And, you know, step one is we admitted we were powerless over gambling that our lives would become unmanageable. And as addicts, we can admit to anything, Craig. We do something wrong and we get caught. The first thing we want to do is get that uncomfortable feeling away from us, you know, to say, okay, you know, I did it again. I relapsed. I had a problem. But for me, it was truly accepting the fact that I have a disease. It's like cancer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I had cancer, everybody in the world would feel sorry for me and they would want me to get a doctor and the best help and the therapy that I could possibly get to save my life. But because we lie and we steal and we're irresponsible and we don't show up on time and there's no accountability and, you know, it's looked at differently. So for me, it wasn't just admitting that I had a problem. For my first real step in putting a line in the sand and trying to change was truly accepting that I'm powerless over this thing. And I've tried it every single way, and my way doesn't work. Yeah, that's a powerful part of this, Dan. You know, the, yep. the honesty, the accepting of having a problem that you can't control, and then the key part, the willingness to listen to others and allow them to guide you through this process. Yeah, that's, that's all spot on. You know, it's the willingness. It's willing, having that desire, that willingness to be open-minded, to learn from others. It's almost like, like letting relationships back into your life is how I've kind of always thought about it. Because when you're in the midst of addiction, I mean, it almost feels like, uh, you know, for me, I was alone on an island. No one can understand. I don't want anyone to understand. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to do this by myself. I want to figure it out myself. Everything with the pride and the ego gets to be so big. But when we start to let those walls down in recovery, it becomes just this magical thing. It really does. It sounds kind of silly to say that, but it really is. I mean, I, I don't understand how it happens. It happens one moment at a time. And it's vulnerability, it's willingness, it's desire, and it's inviting people back into your life. Because we're meant for connection. We're meant to be connected with other people. And when that starts to happen, the, things just start to get better. So, Rob, you said at the start of the show that life is great right now. You're almost 10 years into your recovery uh, walk people through, and I, I say this a lot on the show, as you know, because you, you've been through treatment and you're currently involved you know, working uh, and running a treatment center. What do you tell uh, people that come in who are at step one of this? You know, the journey appears to be much more than they can handle. They don't think they're ever going to get to a good place. Financial difficulties, family difficulties. 
you know, and they're right at the beginning of it. How do you convince somebody who's at step one that they can get to where you're at, which is having this amazing life that you're enjoying every single day? Well, you guys talked about it. It's being open, honest, and willing. You know, those are the three key words in the recovery, you know, and to put one foot in front of the next and, you know, realize that no matter whatever you go through in life to get either sober or stop gambling or be clean from drugs will never be as bad as what you had to get through to get to that point. Um, and you got to ask for help and you got to be honest with yourself. You know, it's an honest program. I mean, until I stopped lying to myself, then I was able to be honest with everybody else. There's so many resources available. And for the guys that I sponsor to this day, I always say we have to we have to change, right? The whole process of recovery is changing. Yep. We could change the way we think. We could change the way we act. And then if we change the way we act, we could then change how we react. And it, it's not just change once and that's the end of it. It's it's an ongoing road. You know, we, we're, I, I, it's like I have cancer for the rest of my life. So I need these meetings. I need this 12-step program. I need guidance. I need help. I need a higher power. I, I need a lot of things in my life to be able to do what I'm able to do now, Craig. And what level of satisfaction do you get running a treatment center in New Jersey that helps folks that suffer not just from gambling addiction, but also substance abuse? I imagine that it's uh, kind of cleansing for your soul, and you probably get as much out of it as the addicts that you help get out of it on their end. With the exception of my kids being born, it's been the greatest gift to watch somebody come in just banged up and beat up and, you know, in a similar place that I was. And then all of a sudden that fog come out and that light bulb go off and they start to look differently and they act differently. And, you know, we provide a lot of tools to help them get to that point, you know, with praying and meditating and taking your inventory. And um, we have a 12-step program that's based with a lot of mindfulness and meditation and art therapy and, um, we have two credentialed counselors specifically for compulsive gambling. We have a beautiful state-of-the-art facility. Um, we got approved by the council to be a treatment provider, um, not only to provide the treatment for the client, but also funding so they don't have to, you know, do a self-pay or go through their insurance. You know, we help with their moral and financial inventories, the acceptance piece. We, you know, we teach them what the cycle of addiction is and how it actually impacts them so they could see firsthand what they're doing to their life day in and day out. We help with the self-exclusion list, you know, for the Gambles Anonymous and the boards and the casinos and the programs. We help with relapse prevention. Um, you know, we deal with the resentments and fear and trauma and withdrawal symptoms, all the reasons why all addicts either use or compulsive gamblers gamble. Yeah, and I think one of the great things is that you have credibility. And if a person walks in, specifically a gambler, but I know you handle substance abuse as well, you can speak to them from personal experience. Not every therapist can do that, but having your voice in that room, I'm sure is very powerful. I'm really proud of you and really thankful that you've been willing to take some time to share your story because you know, you're a regular guy. And that, you know there are regular guys and gals out there right now you know, who, uh, who don't get it and the need to get it. And I think hearing your story and more people like you uh, helps uh, make it easier for people who do have a problem to come forward and get the help that they need. And I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Appreciate it.
I, I can't thank you enough, Craig, you know, and I live by, you know, six words, you know, I don't know, and I need help. And, uh, you know, you, you've done an amazing job with this podcast. And Dan, um, you know, I know a lot of people that listen. And if I could, can I just put the name of, of you know, my treatment center out there? Yeah, or- of course, 100%. If you're uh, in New Jersey or the surrounding areas and uh, have a loved one that needs help or feel like you need help, uh, Rob's got a place. Uh, what's the name of it and where is it? It's Right Choice Recovery in South Brunswick, New Jersey. And, Craig, I will help anybody, whether it's regardless of their financial situation or insurance situation. We will help anybody as long as they're willing to go to any lengths to go help themselves. I I will never turn down a client. It just means that much. I, I Just like you, we can't live this life that we have today if we don't give it away. Yep. Great job, Rob. Appreciate it so much. Uh, Enjoy the rest of uh, your weekend. And in advance of the holidays, have a great Thanksgiving. I know you have a lot to be thankful for. And thank you again for coming on. I can't thank you guys enough. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rob. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, Dan, before we get out of here, uh, great having Rob there. And I think, you know, the message is an important one, and that is recovery is possible. It's not easy by a long shot. But if you commit yourself to it, even a small percentage of the amount of time you spent gambling, you can conquer it. You can get some relationships back. You can fix yourself financially. And you can wake up in the morning and be really proud of the face you see looking at you in the mirror. Yeah. I mean, it's that peace of mind, right? I mean, there's, a, there's you know, listen, I'm a country music guy, Craig. And, you know, I know you might hold that against me a little bit. I'm not sure. No, but I've, so, I've fallen <laughs> in love with uh, Chris okay. Stapleton and yeah. Zach Bryan. So I'm, I'm, I'm in with you. I got you. Okay. So two of my favorites right there. And one of the signs, one of the songs from Zach Brown. Uh, I think it's called uh, Chicken Fried, right? There's no dollar sign on peace of mind. This I've come to know. And I always think about that because I think there's a lot of power in music. And that is what you get back when you're in recovery. And seeing places that were primarily drug and alcohol centers now starting to add in gambling and getting educated, clinicians getting educated on the connection between substance and non-substance and gambling's expanding – we're starting to see this movement. We want it to happen as quickly as possible, but we're starting to see more resources available just so people can get that peace of mind back. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. We're talking about billions and billions of dollars being wagered and hundreds of millions of dollars in tax revenue coming in. And I've yet to see a single state say that we are opening up a treatment center that allows people without insurance or no money in their pockets to come in to get the help that they need. I'm hoping that I'm alive when that happens because it is going to be needed. But, look, we're out of time. We'll do it again next week, and then we'll enjoy the uh, the holiday with our families as well after that. But always good having you on. It's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. Great job, Danny. We'll see you again next week. Sounds great, Craig. Have a great week. All right, coming up next, Joe Beningo solo. And then Evan and I, of course, are back Monday at 2 o'clock right here on The Fan.